If you would, now open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 26. Probably, as long as I live, every time we sing that song, I'm going to miss Roy Dennison sitting right over there singing that second part on that chorus. Sing it out so loud. Other people were singing it with him because you could just sing along with Roy. I miss him every time. I bet he's singing something now, isn't he? <laughs> All right, let's look here. We're going to, for our scripture reading, read this entire chapter, Genesis chapter 26. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee, and unto thy seed, I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham my father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac, and said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. And how saidest thou, she's my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lied with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, for that they strove, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we should be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. 
Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicoth, the chief captain of his army. And Isaac said unto them, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing ye hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And we said, Let there be now an oath betwixt us, even betwixt us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink. And they rose up betimes in the morning, and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged. It said unto, unto him, We have found water. And they called it Sheba. Before the, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. And Esau was forty years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this evening, seeking a blessing from your storehouses of mercy and grace that you have reserved for your people. Father, how we pray that you would meet with us in the person of thy spirit, Enable us to truly worship Thee from the heart this evening, in spirit and in truth. Enable us to hear and believe a word from Thee, a word that You have prepared for us to hear for Your glory, for our good, our instruction, our edification, the feeding of Thy sheep. Fathers, we bow before You how thankful we are that You are God Almighty, God over all, that You always accomplish Your purpose. Whatever it pleases you to do, that's what is done. And Father, how we thank you that it's pleased you to save a people, to make us your people, a people that you would redeem by the blood of your Son. And we we beg of you that you'd be pleased tonight to give us a word from thee. Father, bless us. How how we thank you for for all the blessings, how richly you have blessed this congregation. It's beyond measure. And Father, we know it's only for Christ's sake. It's only because of your promise of mercy and grace. It's not because we've earned it. And Father, we're thankful. And we beg of you that you continue to, to preserve and protect this place. We pray that you give us the, the wisdom and the heart to preserve the unity of the saints here. and Cause this continue to be a place where your sheep can come and hear of Christ. And worship and peace and love and harmony. And Father, we pray for those that you've brought into the valley of trouble and trial. There, there's so many right now in, in deep and difficult places. Father, we're thankful to know thou art able. And we, we pray that you'd be pleased to deliver them. That you'd be pleased to deliver them quickly. And until then, Father, that you give them a special portion of your presence and your grace in their hearts. And all these things we ask in that name which is above every name. The name of Christ our Savior. Amen. 
I've titled our lesson, or our message this evening, Our Wells of Water. Now Isaac, you know, is given to us as a very clear picture of Christ, the, the Son of God, who's the promised Messiah. But you know, Isaac is also often a very good picture of the, of the believer. And that's how I want to look at him tonight. Isaac is a type of a believer in the different circumstances that a believer finds ourselves all throughout our life. Now Isaac is known as a man of wells, wells of, of water that he dug. We're told of at least five wells Isaac dug in his lifetime. Wherever it was that Isaac moved, he went from one place to another. He always went from one well to another well. Now, on the surface of that, I wouldn't say that that's very uncommon, would you? Especially in a desert area, how much you need water. We need water to live. So especially in a, in a desert area, you think lots of people would go from, from one well, well to another well. But in other people I know dug wells. We, we read of a, of a well that Abraham's servants dug, other, other people dug, but we're specifically told more than any other of the, the Old Testament characters of Isaac digging these wells. And it seems like every time Isaac dug a well, he found water. Now, to me, that has to mean that the Lord blessed him. I mean, this is a desert area. He, you, you know, in that kind of climate, you dig and find water. The Lord's blessed you, especially if you uh, never dig up a dry well, you know. And each of these different wells that, that Isaac dug are pictures. They're pictures of the different experiences that every believer goes through in our life. And I hope to show us tonight that in every situation that we experience, the believer must have Christ. He's our strength. He's our, he's our life. He's our stay in every situation. And these wells represent five different experiences that every single believer will experience all throughout history. And the first one is back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 11. It's the well Lehorah. Le- Lehorah. And it came to pass, verse 11, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Leheroi. Now Leheroi means the living one sees me. Isaac was living in a place where the living God saw him. Now you remember the Lord's name, Jehovah Jireh, the, the, the Lord will provide, that, that name that the Lord Revealed the name of the Lord was revealed on top of Mount Moriah when Isaac was getting ready to be killed. Isaac remembered that name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But that name also means the Lord sees. The Lord will see to it. Isaac lived in a place where the Lord's going to see to it. He's going to see to his provision. For the Lord to see is for the Lord to provide. You know, isn't that the, the experience of every believer? We all live right where God sees us and provides for us. Even before we knew him, he saw us and he provided for us. Isn't that comforting? Everywhere you go, the Lord sees you. and He's going to provide. He's going to provide what we need. And we have to say that's true. And physically speaking, the Lord's provided everything we need, hasn't he? Richly, he has. But more importantly, this is true of our spiritual needs. Now for the Lord to see is for the Lord to provide. Whatever the Lord sees his people need, that's what he provides. Well, I'll tell you what we need. 
We need everything that God requires of us. And everything that God requires of His people, God's provided for it in the Lord Jesus Christ. God sees we need righteousness. See what He did? He provided Christ our righteousness. He provided Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, who came and obeyed the law for us and gave us His righteousness. God sees we need a sacrifice. A sacrifice that will satisfy God's justice. A sacrifice that will put away the sin of His people. Well, God has provided Christ, the Lamb of God, who, who came to take away the sin of the world. He was sacrificed for us. And by His sacrifice, He satisfied God's justice so that God can be both just and justify the ungodly. He did that through the sacrifice of Christ. God looks at us and sees we're spiritually ignorant. See what God did? He provided Christ the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is our wisdom. What God's given us, what He's provided for us. In Christ, now I know we don't know everything there is to know, but in Christ I see. I see how God can save sinners. I see how God can save a sinner like me and still be God. I see how God's worshipped. I see. I see. When God looks at us, I'll tell you another thing He sees. He sees us as all sheep having gone astray. See what He does? He provides Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. God requires that we have faith in Christ and He sees we don't have any. So He gives us the gift of faith. The gift. God sees that we have a dead heart. A heart that can't love Him. A heart that can't believe Him. A heart that hates Him. A heart that is hard and cold and cannot be molded. Cannot be changed. So God provides. He says, behold, a new heart I give unto you. A new heart and the new birth. See, God's provided everything we need, hasn't He? And it's all in Christ. Now I'll tell you one more time. You come to Christ. You come to Christ for everything that you need and everything that God requires. It's all in Christ. Now go to Him. And the name of this well means the living one sees me. Well, I see how God sees me and provides. But how is it that God sees all of His people? Well, He sees us in Christ. That's where He sees all of His people. And I honestly can't think of a greater blessing the Father, since He sees us in Christ, sees all of His people as righteous and as holy and as perfect as His own Son. Now that is such, such a, a comforting, assuring thought to our hearts. I don't have to come based to God based upon my own merits. I come to God in Christ, accepted. And I, when I come to God, you know why I'm not destroyed? Because when the Father sees me, all he sees is his son. And I'm accepted. The Lord sees. He sees his people in Christ. And we read this over in, in chapter 26. The Lord blessed Isaac for Abraham's sake. He said, I'm blessed you. I'm giving you this blessing because I promised your father Abraham I'd do it. Well, the same thing's true of every blessing that we receive. God blesses us for Christ's sake. He blesses us because he promised he would, not because we deserved it. And that's the way God sees all of His people all of the time in Christ. He blesses them for Christ's sake. He accepts them in Christ's sake. He sees them in Christ all of the time forever. 
He sees nothing but Christ. That's how God sees his people. All right, the second well is the well Isaac. Look over in chapter 26, verse 19. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gear did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the, the name of the well Isaac, because they strove with him. Now that name Isaac means contention or strife. There was contention, strife, as soon as they found this well. The first thing we see about this well is this. It's called a well of springing water. They called it living water because this well, or this, this water flowed out of the well. It wasn't like a, a deep pool of water down on the ground. You had to drop a bucket way down there and draw the water up. This water flowed out of the well. It was living water. Now look over at John chapter 4. You know already that that living water, that, that running water there, is a picture of Christ, the living water, spiritually living water. The Lord Jesus Christ is living water, life-giving water for his people. And this is what he talked to the, to the woman at the well about in John chapter 4, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? <laughs> Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? You reckon, <laughs> you reckon this, this, the Lord is greater than, than Jacob who dug the well? And Lord, so patient, look, in verse, he just doesn't even answer that. In verse 13, he answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now who is this water? What is this water? The water is a who, not a what. Well, look at verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am. I am. Christ is the water. See, when God causes his people to be born again, he gives them life. He doesn't just give them a drink of water. He gives them a fountain of water. Springing up in their heart so that they'll never thirst again. Because they always have that water springing up in their heart. That drink of water I just took, it tasted pretty good. I don't need any more water right now. But I will for too long, because I'm going to use it up. You know why a believer doesn't thirst for life, and thirst for righteousness anymore? You only thirst for something when you don't have it in you, when your body needs it. The believer doesn't have to thirst for life, because Christ is our life. We don't thirst for righteousness because Christ is our righteousness. Christ is the fountain of life, and you can never use him up. See, that water I drank, I'm going to use it up. I'll need some more. 
Christ is in you, you'll never lose, use Him up. You'll never use up His righteousness. you never use up His holiness. you never use up His grace. you never use up His forgiveness. you never use up His, His, His love. He's a well of water springing up in us. Christ is the source of our life. It comes from Him. We receive our life from Him and He's the source of it. He is our life. We live because we're joined to Him. We're live because he, we live because He lives in us. And He's the sustainer of our life. He sustains our life by constantly having that well of water springing up in us. See, we need Him every hour, don't we? If He doesn't have that water springing up within us, we'll wither away and die. We cannot live without Him. And by His mercy and His grace, His people don't. He's that well of water springing up and He never leaves them. Now look back at Genesis chapter 26. This well, Esek, remember, means contention or strife. You think, well, I don't see how the contention is here. God gives life. He's, he's the fountain of life. He's the living water springing up in us. Where's the contention? Well, I'll tell you the contention, our contention, our strife with sin. Tell you when it begins. It begins as soon as Christ gives us life. It has that life of water dwelling in us and springing up in us. As soon as there's, there's life, spiritual life in a believer, you're going to have contention with the world. And you're going to have contention from the world. <laughs> but you know, we're not here. Well, we do have contention with the world. And there's a lot of things wrong in the world, isn't it? But we're not really here to change the world. We're not here to try to change it because you can't change it. It's always going to be sinful. There's always going to be something wrong with it. I'll tell you what our biggest contention is. It's with our own sin. Look there at Genesis 26, verse 1. I'm going to show you an example of this. The biggest contention is the contention with our sin. There's a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. And I will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seeds shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And what's well, quite a promise, isn't it? A promise directly to Isaac from God Almighty. All right, read on. Verse 6, And Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she is fair to look upon. And it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at the window and saw. And behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. He was playing with Rebekah, acting with her as only a man would act with his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. And how saidest thou she's my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? 
For one of the people might lightly have lied with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. The poor old Isaac. <laughs> Isaac repeated the mistake that his father made twice. Remember, Abraham twice went someplace and said, Now, Sarah, say you're my sister, so you know they don't kill me. And Isaac did the same thing. He did the same thing. I mean, I, you know Abraham told him that story. And he did it anyway. Isaac knew better. And you know he knew better. Why on earth would Isaac do that? I mean immediately after God promised, I'm going to bless you here. If God's blessing him there in that country, is he going to get killed? Somebody going to take Rebecca from him? Why on earth would Isaac do that? Maybe Isaac asked the same question Rebecca asked. Reckon, why am I thus? <laughs> why did I do that? Well, we saw Sunday. Here's why I did it. Here's why I'm thus. It's because of the nature of sin that's still in us. And because that nature of sin is still in us, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. We need to hear of Christ over and over and over again. So we don't miss him. So we don't, don't start wandering off from him. And there's a good example of that in verse 17. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his, his father had called them. Now Abraham had dug these wells, but the Philistines had gone and stopped them up, filled them up with, with earth, and so you couldn't get water out of them anymore. Isaac went and dug them, dug them back up. He knew there was water there. He, he just cleared that earth back out and dug up those wells. And here's what I want to say about this. I remember Brother Henry saying so often, stick to the old paths. Stick to the old paths. And this is what he meant. Don't go looking for a new message. Don't go looking for a new way to, to package the gospel, make the gospel more appealing to the flesh, you know, so you can draw more people in here. Keep to the old paths. Keep to the old proven ways. Keep to the old, old story. Keep to the eternal gospel of Christ. It can't be improved. Keep to the old ways. This is the only gospel that God uses to save sinners. The eternal gospel of Christ. Now stick to it. Stick to it. You know, you could call gospel preaching a well of water, couldn't you? Gospel preaching is what lets people see Christ and get to Christ, doesn't it? We, we preach Christ, we present Him to people so they see and drink, can't they? And that way, gospel preaching is a well of water. Well, I think of many, many places on this earth where the gospel used to be preached. There's a well of water there. There used to be. Now there's not. What happened? The Philistines filled it up with dirt. That's what happened. You know, that well can get clogged up. And it gets clogged up by man's religion. Man's religious ways and man's religious traditions. The springing water gets clogged up when men start adding things to Christ. That's what clogs up the fountain. Men make our conduct and our outward morality an issue in salvation. You gotta act a certain way to keep your salvation. They clog, they're clogging up the well. That's what they're doing. 
They make the building where we worship to be so, so important. Maybe it's the, you know, where it's at in town. It's got to be in a good location or it's, um, it's the history. What's the history of the building? Man told me one time he was going to, to a place because of who used to be the pastor there a generation ago. Hmm. I don't know much about the Metropolitan Tabernacle now. I know it used to be a fountain there. It used to be a, did the gospel. Not anymore. Well, just because Spurgeon preached there, just because way back there, John Gill used to be a, a pastor of that congregation, doesn't mean that's where I want to go. I want to go where the gospel's preached now. If you go there just looking at history, you're clogging up the well. Men make a, an order of service. Oh, make make it an issue of worship. You know, you got to do things in this certain order. You you got to do this. You got to you know, this big processional. You got to. And whenever people start doing that, you know what they always do? Always, they take away time from preaching. Every single time. That's what they, they never add time to preaching. They take away time from preaching. <laughs> and it's pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You start detracting from the from the time that you have preaching and the importance of preaching. You clogged up the well and just made it useless. And I tell you what, if you ever find the well clogged up, you find that you're not hearing of Christ. You're not being blessed. You're not getting a, a, a drink from, the, from that living water because you're not hearing of Christ. Tell you what to do. Get out your shovel and dig down to the old paths. <laughs> dig, up, dig up those old paths, those old wells. Do what Isaac did and dig, dig them up. And don't give them new names. Call them by the names they were before. Just preach the same old gospel. The same old gospel. Use those old terms that those old timers, the reformers used. Talk about righteousness. Talk about justification. Talk about sanctification. Talk about justification by faith. Talk, don't give them new names. Don't give them names trying to make it appealing to the flesh. You dig up that old gospel message that our fathers preached and preach it. Hang on to it. Because if we're going to have spiritual life, we need that old well of life-giving, springing water, don't we? And wherever that living water's at, there's going to be contention. There's going to be contention. Satan's going to attack it. Satan's going to attack it. There's going to be contention there. But don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. All right, here's the third thing. The third well is at Sitna. Verse 21 there in Genesis 26. And they digged another well and strove for that also. He called the name of it Sitna. Or, yeah, Sitna. Now that word Sitna means hatred and strife. You know, just like our contention and strife begins the very moment that we're born again. It's a contention and strife with our own flesh, with our own sin, isn't it? The believer also experiences hatred from the very moment God causes us to be born again. And we think that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? To, to experience hatred the very moment we, the, the God sheds abroad His love in our heart. That seems like a contradiction. But yes, we do. At that very moment, we start experiencing hatred. And you'll have hatred from the world. There'll be some of that. You know, the world hates our God. So it's going to hate those that love Him. The world hates our Savior. It's going to hate those that love Him. The world hates our Savior and it's going to hate those He saves. Just the way it is. And that what the, our Lord said? They're going to hate you because they hate your Master. If they hate the Master, they're going to hate your servants. 
The world hates the message of salvation by grace. I mean, they love the message of salvation by works, but oh, they hate the message of salvation by grace. Then they're going to hate a sinner who's been saved by grace. They just don't understand. You know, telling somebody that life is going to be all peachy keen after the Lord saves you. Now that's a lie. That's just a lie. The moment God causes you to be born again, you're going to experience hatred. Hatred from the world, and you're going to hate the world. You know, you're going to, as soon as the Lord gives you life, you're going to see things you never saw before. And you'll hate the ways of the world. Now notice I said you'll hate the ways of the world. And let's be mighty careful on this one. We hate the ways of the world. We're not to hate the people of the world. How can we preach the gospel to lost people of the world if we hate them? You can't. You can only preach the gospel to people if you care about them. And no one should, should feel and show more compassion and understanding to the lost than somebody who used to be lost and is now found. I didn't, you know, I didn't say that I'm lost and, and, and I found the right way. I, I can't, no, I was found. The Lord came found me and he brought me. I used to be lost and the Lord found me. Then I ought to feel genuine compassion for those that are still out there lost, shouldn't I? See, nobody should understand the lost more than us who used to be lost. And I understand why the lost do what they do and I hate their ways. I mean, ugh. But I pray for them. I pray for them. Just be careful that we don't hate the ways of the world so much. We start hating the people of the world so that we can't preach the gospel to them. So we can't pray for them and care about them. A believer does hate the sinful ways of this world. But I tell you what will grate on your last nerve. I mean what you hate the most. It's your own sin. Hmm. A believer hates our sin. I hate my sin much more than I hate the sin of the world. At least I do when I'm looking at it right. <laughs> if I start hating somebody else's sin more than mine, that's this so self-righteous. And if I belong to the Lord, He'll correct that. He'll correct that. He'll make me look at it right again. But just generally speaking, a believer hates his own sin much more than he hates the sin of the world. Don't you know, Isaac hated his sin. He hated his sin. He hated his weakness. When this was over, he hated that he told those Philistines Rebecca was his sister and he didn't trust the Lord. You know he hated that. He hated that more than, than, he, than he hated the idolatry of the Philistines because Isaac knew he sinned against greater light than the Philistines did. I mean, the Lord just spoke to him and gave him a promise and he immediately acted in unbelief. He hated his own sin. And that's what I want. I hope the Lord gives me the spirit to hate my own sin more than I hate your sin. So I start looking, I keep looking for, to Christ my own self. Right then, the fourth well is the well at Rehoboth, verse 22. And he removed from thence and digged another well. For, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we should be fruitful. In the land. Now Isaac had a well. Nobody was fighting over it. Nobody was giving him contention over it. It was a peaceful place. That's what he called the name of that place, Rehoboth. And it means wide places and abundance. 
wide places. You know, in Scripture, when it talks about trials, often it talks about a narrow place. This is a wide place. There's no strife. There's no contention. Just blessing and abundance. You know how we have to say the Lord has abundantly blessed us. Abundantly. Don't we have to say that? God gives His people abundant mercy. Abundant grace. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He what? Shed on us abundantly. Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Titus 3, verses 5-6. through 6. Christ the living water gives His people life. And I'm telling you, it's abundant. Eternal life. John 10, verse 10, the Lord said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. And they might have it more abundantly. Abundant life. Life that can never be lost. And thankfully, what our Lord does for His people and what He gives to His people is not limited to our weak imagination. What we can make up. I hate when I pray this way. Here's this problem. Lord, now if you do this, you know, fix the problem. The Lord always knows better than me about what to do. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh, His, his wisdom is abundantly above ours. His ways are abundantly above ours. His ways are abundantly better than ours. Oh, He blesses His people abundantly with grace. Now that's important to say it's it's with grace. Gene, it's undeserved. He blesses us abundantly even though we don't deserve it. And here's a good example. Verse 12, Genesis 26. Then Isaac sowed in that land and he received in the same year an hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants. And the Philistines envied him. Now why on earth would the Lord bless Isaac like that? In the very year that he was going around telling people, Rebecca's my sister. In the very year that he's just given this weak display of faith. Just really, he's shaming the gospel. He's shaming the name of his God in front of the Philistines. Why on earth would God bless him in that very year? The Lord told Isaac, you stay in this land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed after you. I'm going to give it all to your seed after And the first time somebody comes to ask him a question, he says, Rebecca, she's my sister. And he said that because I'm afraid to die for her. Aren't you glad the Savior didn't say that about you? He's not afraid to die for her. And when I read that, when Isaac said, I'm afraid to die for her, this is what I thought. Now, you don't know this, but uh, Janet's grandmother, Janet said when she was little, she did something that would displease her grandmother in a way that her grandmother didn't want her to do. Her grandmother would go, and she said, that's worse than a whipping for grandma to go, we see what Isaac did. In our self-righteousness, what do we, we go? But the Lord blessed him. 
the Lord blessed him anyway. Now, before we go on talking about Isaac, let me ask you this. That sound like anybody else you know? The Lord blessed you anyway? Huh? The Lord blesses his people for Christ's sake. Not because of what we've done, but because of who Christ is, what he's accomplished. The Lord blesses his people because he promised that he would. Not because we've earned it, because God's keeping his promise. The Lord blesses his people because he's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace, not because we have any merit. Here is the the basis of every blessing you and I will ever receive from the Lord. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, how abundantly he's blessed us. Then the last well is the well at Sheba. In verse 32, And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had digged. And said unto him, We found water. And they called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. Now that word Sheba means oath. And its root word is a word meaning seven. So this is a sevenfold oath. It's a perfect oath. Seven in scripture is the, the number of perfection. I'm not big on numerology, but seven is a, is a clearly a number of perfection in scripture. And this is what this well is teaching us. All of the salvation of sinners is based upon God's oath. God's covenant of grace. God's promise to save his people by his grace. God's promise to save his people by the merits of his son, not their merits. Before time began, God the Father promised he'd save a sinful people by the bloody sacrifice and death of his son. The salvation of sinners is by the promise of Almighty God. And since it's by the promise of God, God cannot lie. Their salvation is going to happen. It's going to. Man's sin cannot stop God's promise of grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Man's unbelief cannot make God's promise null and void. No, it's impossible. God will give him faith to accomplish it. God will save his people because he promised that he'd save them. He promised he'd save them by his grace. And in closing, look at uh, first at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's sum this up. I want to look at three passages of Scripture. I believe there'll be a blessing to you, something you can take home with you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse, verse 13. This is now salvation is based upon the oath, the promise of God. Is God going to keep his promise? 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, this thing's not going to depend upon if we decide to believe or not, is it? No, God's going to save his people because he's faithful. And he's going to make them believe in the day of his power. But it doesn't depend upon us. Salvation depends upon the faithfulness of God. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Don't quit. Don't quit looking to Christ. Don't quit trusting Christ. Don't quit trusting the promise of God. Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Why? For he's faithful that promised. 
God's going to keep his promise. He's faithful to do it. Then one more passage, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here I love this, God's both faithful and just. Faithful to His promise of mercy and He's just. God is faithful to forgive the sin of His people. And He's just to forgive the sin of His people. Because the sacrifice of Christ took away the sin that made God angry. God, The sacrifice of Christ took away the sin of His people and made it right to for God to forgive them. And He's faithful to do it. He's faithful to forgive the sin of His people. He's faithful to watch over and keep and preserve and protect His people because of the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ means if Christ died for you, you cannot perish cannot and God be faithful make sure you don't now I like that don't you like that that that, uh, God keeping you to the end depends on his faithfulness not yours I like it that way I surely do all right let's bow together father how we thank you for your word oh how we thank you for your faithfulness your promise of mercy and grace to your people and your son our Lord Jesus Christ Father, cause each of us here tonight to flee to Him, to hide in Him. Oh, that you would see us in Him and Him alone. How we thank you. Father, bless your word. Bless your word. Show us your glory through the preaching of your word. And cause us to leave here tonight and go home and lay down on our pillow, trusting and resting in Christ our Savior. It's in His precious name, for His glory and His sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.